open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Mugwon Tower, Mugwon Tower, this is Albatross 13, requesting permission to land. Over. I don't need a computer to tell me how to land a damn airplane. Six. Heads up display, check. Five. Lasers, check. Four. Particle beam, check. Three. Photon bolts, check. Two. Chair control, check. One. Let's do it. Broadcasting from a secret underground location somewhere in Moss Eisley, this is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Make yourself comfortable. The show is about to start. Hello and welcome to the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. I am your fantastic host, Dayton Johnson. Joining me this week, I have Disney John. How are you? I am fabulous, sir. How are you? I'm feeling fantastic and uh college roommate and artist friend john wright how are you doing well man thank you for having me back of course and rocking the do-rag we got liam lewis how's it going liam fantastic happy to be here very cool all right before we get into the topic listeners out there please on your favorite podcast app give us a five-star uh rating and a review it helps get us around helps us be seen and hey share us on social media we don't get we don't mind getting passed around so just pass us around to your friends no worries and if you want to help support the show in other ways go to patreon and for as little as one dollar a month you can help offset the cost of the production of this podcast there now onto the topic we are discussing the awesome book fantastic land by mike bakoven released October 11th, 2016. Get ready for a struggle for survival in the unlikeliest of places. Prepare to visit Fantastic Land. Since the 1970s, Fantastic Land has been the theme park where fun is guaranteed. But when a hurricane ravages the Florida coast and isolates the park, the employees find it anything but fun. Five weeks later, the authorities who rescued the survivors encounter a scene of horror. Photos soon emerge online of heads on spikes, outside of rides, and viscera and human bones littering the gift shops, breaking records for hits, views, likes, clicks, and shares. How could a group of survivors, mostly teenagers, commit such terrible acts? Presented as a fact finding investigation and a series of first person interviews fantasy land pieces together the grisly series of events cut off from the world and left on their own the teenagers soon form rival tribes who viciously compete for food medicine social dominance and even human flesh this new social network divides the ravaged dreamland into territories ruled by the pirates the shop girls the freaks and the mole people If meticulously curated online personas can replace private identities, what takes over when those constructs are lost? Fantastic Land is a modern take on Lord of the Flies meets Battle Royale that probes the consequences of a social civilization built online. So let's do this thing! All right. So um, there's a lot of things that happen in this book that are quite shocking and could ruin it for you. So if you have not read the book uh, or listened to the audiobook, 
please check it out and come back because uh, we will spoil freely. This is your only warning. Now, uh, we'll start with you, John. Did you like the book? Uh, overall, yes. I do have a few problems with it here and there, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. But okay. overall, it, overall, it's a it, it's a fun read. It's 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 uh, in spite of the subject matter and some of the stuff that goes on, it's actually a pretty light read too. It's yeah. a good. It, it's it's the equivalent of a popcorn movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All, right. All right. Um. But yeah. Overall, overall, good read. Um. And a fun read. All right. How about you, Liam? Do you like the book? I thought it was fantastic <laughs> no pun intended but seriously um uh, i remember reading lord of the flies in high school and you know i obviously heard about it through cultural osmosis but i finally get to read the thing and i'm like really this this is a book that everybody's like oh it's so revolutionary and it's so deep i always felt it was kind of preachy and boring i did not really care for it i'm glad right. i read it but i wouldn't read it again reading this well listening to this audiobook which helped a lot um i reading this book gave me the feeling that i expected when i started lord of the flies in high school this is the book that i thought i was going to get and i thought it was just amazing and scary and also fun and like deep without preaching at me okay all right i got you i got you all right disney john how about you do you like the book yeah it was shockingly good um <laughs> I, I i will say that i was like i just did not have high expectations the cover art did not lead me to pick it up and want to open it right um I I did read the synopsis finally, and you were kind enough to ask me to join you. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a listen. I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, right. th this is some this is some very sadistic things that happen in here and twisted, and it was wonderful. I mean, it was a it was a quick read, like John mentioned. It's it's real simple read. Yeah. Um, I like the vehicle of the storytelling device. It was it was just a, it was quick, easy, and fun to read. Yeah, the, it is a very generic uh, cover art. You know, it really doesn't you know really doesn't grab your attention. Um, mm -mm. I was actually referred to by a coworker who uh, heard heard it through Audible, and he told me about it. So that's how I heard about it, and I'm so glad he did. Um, so uh, let's just move on to uh, open discussion. John, thoughts, feelings, images, anything that you want to discuss that came to mind while you were reading this? Anything that sticks out right away? Well, again, we we mentioned the Lord of the Flies reference. It's it's very much that. It also reminds me of Battle Royale. Right. Um, it's it's kind of shocking. Um, when you first recommended this for an episode it's been a little while. I forget when you sent me the original link, but it's, it's it, it, it was at least two months ago. I wanted to give people time to read it. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I know I will confess right off the bat. I did not read it. I listened to the audiobook. Well, so did I. It was, just, it was just more convenient. And I will go out there and say that the two people that did the audiobook, the two voice actors are very, very good. And oh yeah. It does a lot to convey the story it it really being that the book is told in interview fashion for the majority of it um the fact that these two people 
through through so many characters out there and so many different voices and kept everything flowing and added some twists that I probably had I been reading a physical copy probably would not have picked up on right um just some influences in their voices and the way they pause um yeah multiple dialects too yeah multiple dialects um there are there are a couple characters they portray that I, I literally I thought for sure it was somebody else <laughs> right they're, they're they're very very good but you know overall I, like I said it is a fun it's a fun read I'm sure it's a fun listen yeah um all right um one of the things that uh got my attention um especially my second and third time through it i was kind of i know it's a it's it's fiction but i could totally see this happening i was still kind of surprised at how many people felt it was okay just to start stealing money or stealing <laughs> you know yeah. it's like the one guy kind of justify well I call, let's call it hazard pay and i'm like <laughs> what, what do you mean hazard you're getting paid already to be there but it's you believable I, I know well it yeah. wasn't just teenagers the one guy uh he was you know um 20 something and you know the yeah but you know, still they're all super i, I think I, know. I think of all college age people as teenagers and i that's well, why I, I understand this cast as <laughs> yes i can support that by the way <laughs> um but yeah i just couldn't believe how many people are just like you know yeah we you know second day in they're already cracking open you know the nice food at the nice restaurants instead of all the rations and stuff they were given i'm like you know you know what's going on and uh it just seemed like it was okay you know i'm like it's not okay you know and but that just kind of shocked me right away i would agree with that i would i would say that i thought the i mean i realized the book is short book and he needed to progress the story rather quickly i mean i I believe the whole book only does 36 days of them in fantastic land during the during the actual devastation so just over a month yeah and on day two yeah. yeah. And on day two, they are like, I agree with you, Dayton. Like on day two, all of a sudden they're just breaking into everything and just tearing the plate park. I'm like, okay. I, I, like that was, I, we're getting well, into problems day, already. It with was day two out of the shelter, to be fair. Yeah. So that's probably okay. so a few days, days in. So then, yeah. So but five yeah. days in. So, yeah. so that, yeah, that's just them getting out and doing shit. So I, sorry. I, I try not to curse on your show. I apologize. Oh, that's uh, all right. But um, it's I don't just, fucking care. Whatever. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, was, there was, so I know we're going to talk about problems later because that, that is one of my problems with the book. So, okay, but I, right. but I agree with you that I, it, it progressed well that the, it was like day two out of the shelter. They're like, just, they're like, Hey, the park's here. Let's tear it up. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go get some good stuff. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Liam, something that stuck out to you as you're reading through it. Um, well, um, going off of, um, what you guys were saying with um, how quickly they were just tearing up the park. Um, I thought that was actually really realistic when you look at um, the fact that, you know, people in that like youngest of age bracket, you can be while being able to legally enter the workforce. When you look at that youngest of age bracket of workers being that young, they don't have a lot of respect for authority yet anyway, and they have a tendency to rebel just because you're young and that's what you do. And between that and uh, Sam Garlic's whole, like, <laughs> oh, the rise Lord and fall mercy. of the Garlic Empire, um, <laughs> as it were, really hammering in on the conscious and subconscious level that no one's minding the store 
there's no law here. Right. Like it totally makes sense, at least to me, that things would start devolving that quickly because nobody's in charge. I right. have to and, disagree with you, though, because well, Sam Garlic was the one who's in charge. Was he, though? <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. <laughs> was he he's, he? he's supposed to be. He yeah, was. He, he, yeah, like, he was. He wasn't in charge of anything except for his. You know, he wasn't even controlling his ego either. So yeah, he, no. Yeah, like what an but idiot. So I've, it was. I've actually worked for people like that. Yeah. Oh, I think we all yeah. have. I think we Everyone all have. Everyone has. But it was funny to me watching, uh, reading this book, and then afterwards, my mom and I just because we were in the mood watched Spike Lee's documentary about uh, Hurricane Katrina. Oh right, right. Um watching that documentary and being like oh that's what these scenes are supposed to look like right (laughs) (laughs) yeah because a lot of the imagery in that like reflects that down to dayton you were saying people are taking money because that's what you should be doing right now um there were uh there's a section where they talk about two kinds of looters the people who were looting food and medicine and essential items because nobody in the government was helping them right and then People who were just taking TVs and kitchen appliances. Right. Mm. Right. Wow. All right. Disney John, something sticks out to you when you're reading through it. So I have to say that the imagery that they pulled from this, like they pulled from my mind. Um, I I am retired military. I've literally traveled around the world and I have been in some of the crappiest situations and crappiest places in my life. And I can't imagine anything worse than what these people went through. Like the, the smells, the, the, the visions the I mean, everything is right. just like horrifying to me, like absolutely horrifying. So uh, just the imagery that, that he pulls out with his words. And, and I honestly think that if anyone listening to this has an opportunity to read the book, I believe they should also listen to it because I believe Luke Daniels, um, oh my gosh, the uh, Angela Dawn uh, or yeah, Angela Dawn, they um, they really bring this book to life with their characterizations of the voices um, and really bring to life this book. I mean, it's a short book, but it was like it's and it's a 10 hour listen. Right. Oh, my golly, people, it's do yourself a favor and read it and then listen to it because it really is chillingly different. Yeah, his uh, his version of Brock Hockney was. Oh, <laughs> man. You guys are blowing my mind because I, I literally, until you said it, I had no idea that this entire book was voiced by two people. I thought we had like a full voice cast. Yeah, it, yeah, it no, feels that way, people. doesn't it? It does feel that way. You know, it's interesting that a few years ago, I, I assume we're all Ohio based. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we had a hurricane come through Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, we did. We had what was left of some winds. Yep. Yep. And wasn't it Ike? Can, it was Ike, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. I believe that was it. You know, in we lost power for I think we were without power for the better part of 10 days. Yep. Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting in contrast, having lived through that, which is, which is by no means a comparison to anyone who has gone through a hurricane. You have my heart, my heart goes out to you because I can't even imagine, but it was interesting having gone through that and seeing what transpired in my neighborhood, you know, granted, you know, it's a totally different situation, but there's no looting. There's no, there, there's no beheadings. There's no guys getting beaten to death with stanchions. Um, <laughs> you know, my neighborhood was really cool because everybody came together and we were sharing everything. 
Right. And I, and I think that's the, I, you know, that's the ideal picture we have on our heads. Like, oh my God, if there's a catastrophe, then, you know, Sam across the street is going to share whatever he has with me. And, and I'm going to do that with him. But this book is a little bit more realistic. We have seen recently within the past year, just how, and pardon my French, how fucking bad society can be when right. left to their own devices. Right. And they, and they re- allude to that. Like, um, uh, the lady from the national guard, uh, said, you know, um, you can go through and look at other stories and there's plenty of stories of people that are helping, you know, and sharing their food and going without water. So babies can have something to drink, you know, and they, you know, another, uh, one of the chapters, it made a reference that, you know, uh, was it Clara and that hates people because, yeah. you know, I like, yeah. I like, so I like, a person, you know, but when you get like a group of eight or more, I hate people because they can easily be convinced of things. And we have definitely seen that over the last few years. That's completely true, which is why this book I'm going through. It kind of scares me because I don't, because it's as, uh, excuse the pun as fantastic as the story is at the same time, it's not, it's, it's believable and it's terrifying to think how quickly something like that could you know, a situation could dissolve into that. So, so something else I, I noticed, um, did anybody else absolutely hate was, uh, Sal or whatever the, he was a pirate. Um, he was the party dude, you know, the one oh my God. I just call him Chad in my head. I don't know what Chad. his real name is. <laughs> <sighs> but Perfect. he's Chad in my head, you know, I've party with a volleyball team at a, you know, marijuana dispensary, you know, dispensary. And it's like, and he he was so stupid. He's like, you know, we weren't doing this. We weren't doing that. And it does, it didn't seem to phase him that, you know, people did die right in front of him. He's like, yeah, it was sad. What else you want to talk about? And nothing seemed to phase this guy, you know, stoned. Oh yeah. But you know what? But so were the freaks. And they and they survived with no problems. They weren't killing people. It, he was just all I wanted to do was I literally wanted to be able to reach into the book or into the audiobook and strangle that guy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I did not have that visceral a reaction to him, but I mean, I, okay, I definitely thought, st- slap him around a little bit, well, kind of wake no, him I, up. <laughs> I get I get what you're saying, but I just I do you think that he like he's like that in his normal life? Like really, nothing gets to him. He just goes through life like, hey man, this is pretty cool, or. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was kind of gritty. Nobody was cutting heads off. I mean, like but, that just was not going but on. Was he just not looking around? I mean, there was bodies hanging up in front. I and mean, then how he tweet, how he how he saw like, well, those robots tried to come in and invade us, which is not true. They were just coming to ask questions and see what mm-hmm. was going on, and they got attacked. So it's like I think he's just missing puzzle pieces. I think he's just been elsewhere when the really bad things happened. I don't think he's missing puzzle pieces. I think he's just flat out lying. He's denying the truth to himself and to others because he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to take any kind of responsibility for the acts that he saw done and more than likely participated in. But I also think that he's just, he's towing the line because that's what stoners do. It's just like, Oh no, there's nothing going on. They told me everything was cool. So that was how it was. (laughs) That way he doesn't have to believe what he actually participated in. All right, you know, I can he, see that. He knew about the fights. He knew about the oh, guy sure. dying in the fights, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of the other stuff. You know, he held Brock in like the highest of regards. I mean, oh, I know. Was, yes. Uh, um, you know, 
and which is really scary when you think about some of the stuff that's been going on in our world lately and how, <laughs> yes, yes. how a certain political figure has been held in high regards despite some really heinous acts. And there, I'm off my soapbox now. But, um, <laughs> but that's, that's what it reminded me of, quite honestly. Yeah, I completely yeah. You know? agree. That was the thing that, that was one of the most realistic sections for me was that guy because he, he has this line, I have it written down, uh, we came from decent families, but that's different from having brothers. Like, I got this very, like, I, I don't recall his, like, financial situation at home, but I got this impression of, like, these are all, like, the upper middle class to upper class frat bros. Yeah. Who, like, the thing about um, uh, this situation is that, like, a lot of these kids probably had never worked that hard in their lives. And, like, I, I see this in some of the, like, 15-year-olds that I work with at Kroger. Like, the, I can tell that they don't really need this job. They don't need this money the way that I need this money. They're doing this because their parents are telling them to, to get some work experience and start working on growing up and preparing for the outside world. So I get the feeling that like a lot of these kids who were drawn into the like Brock Hockney cult were like, they had never really, worked for anything they had never really needed to they had never they could just kind of coast by on the fact that there were men in a patriarchal society and they can just coast by on that um and like i'm sure that in many of the fraternities that they may or may not have been in uh they saw some stuff that was like yeah but boys will be boys (laughs) um and this is just an extension that is taking that uh, methodology to its so-called logical conclusion. Like if you extend it to the extreme, that's where yet it's the same type of mentality. So I thought that was extremely realistic. All these guys, like they're drawn into this because they have a sense of community and a sense of accomplishment. And if Brock Hockney hadn't been a terrible person, they (laughs) could have formed like a really effective society. Like if it had been a, good morally aligned person we would have like had a really good tribe i think yeah but you see i think sal though um kind of exemplifies what the modern youth are today because the last line of the first paragraph i think says it the best is i just wish we had our phones there to put it online it would have been epic right and that is that genuinely i think to me explains sal in a nutshell like he might be a stoner but like he's like those kids on the phones all day long like i gotta capture this and put this over here and make sure my friends see this epic party that i'm at and and to me that's like kind of what he like he doesn't care it's like if it's not on the phone it must not be real well yeah because there's a bunch of people they even they even made a comment that you know it it doesn't matter because it wasn't facebook official you know so like it was that you know uh they were you know, it was still, they were inside of an amusement park and they were, you know, it's like they were cut off. So sure it was happening, but it wasn't, it was not real. Is it, did it bother anyone else when Sal like sold his mom out basically? It's like, you know, <laughs> right? he's like, he's like, I'll stand side by side with my bros and fight anything that comes at us. But I love my mom, but I'm not going to do that for her. I know. Right. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Oh my, I know. It's like, uh, wow. That's, pretty harsh 
So, but he's I, got his bros, man. I, I guess bros, I guess man. bros before blood. I guess I don't know. That's well, just kind of harsh. See, Sal strikes me as the kind of person that wouldn't really. It would be until his mom. Once his mom passed, is when he kind of realized how important she was. Yeah, so, then it'll that's, click that's, for yeah, him. Yeah, that's when it strikes no, me. He'd only imp- realize how important she was when the inheritance ran out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so I want to take a minute uh, and talk about. Sophie and Austin. Uh, Sophie talking about Austin, you know, the, the hustler. Yeah. Yes. First of all, I love his introduction, you know, riding the Davy Jones over and over again and taking off an article of clothing until he's just riding it in his underwear. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a great introduction of a character. I mean, as Sophie was describing Austin, I really liked him in a way um, because she's right. He didn't really do anything to hurt people. You know, he was like, he could always get something for somebody, whatever. And he, and you know what, you know, he made a living doing it. You know, he worked in the park and whatever, but he, you know, made good money. But the one thing that drove me nuts is, you know, take, they take all this stuff. They go get all this stuff, go to those food and, you know, they go to the, you know, uh, dorms and they get all that stuff. And I'm thinking if they can't get to the dorms, who has money to buy this stuff from him? You know, there's like, there's, there's, he has this great plan, but there's like a really big piece of the plan missing that he maybe didn't consider that. How are they going to buy it from you? If you, if they couldn't get to trade, wasn't it in trade? I thought they going to trade him. He had everything. (laughs) He had a lot of stuff, but he had had, had the guns, he had the food, he had water, you know, medicine. He had a lot of weed. Yeah. So I need medicine. Yeah. But the medicine was all. You know, at the at the first aid station. Oh, uh, so yeah, that's true. It just seems like you know, what was he? Because he's he kept saying we're going to get rich doing this, we're going to get rich doing this, and which was great. And you know, but my problem was, I mean, I guess in the short term, I guess he figured, you know, whatever. But you know, when uh, it's like, where are they getting their money? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I, I mean, I'm at work, I don't carry money with me because I'm walking all day long. But even when I worked at like you know you know, say at Kroger or wherever, I didn't carry a lot of cash with me. So, you know, these 20 somethings weren't carrying a couple hundred dollars on them at work because a lot of them were in costume. Yeah. So that, that bothered me a little bit, but I got over that. But my question is, why did he keep leaving? Even when he knew, even when he knew people kept, well, they were just want to know where stash was. So as soon as you figured that out, why did you keep going back out? I, you know, why? And then Sophie's all like, I just wonder what happened to him. Like when he got stupid, that's what happened to him. <laughs> you know, he reminds me of the hoarders we saw during the early part of the pandemic when you couldn't find toilet paper on the shelf. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I need 18 packs of it for myself when there's a mom there with her four kids that would be happy to have just a roll. You right. Know? And yeah. And it, the the thing I and I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit and I apologize for that, but the thing I came to the conclusion of about a 99% of these characters is I don't think we're getting a hundred percent truth from any of them. Oh, it's I all think, per- I, no, it's all perspective. It's, it's, it's all perception. It's all perspective, and there's yeah. a lot. And there's a lot of. Um, I, I I think some of them are just flagrantly lying to us mm-hmm. to make well, themselves look good and to to make those they were aligned with look good. Right. And, and I, I kind of think there's a little bit of that going on with these two. 
Um, oh, she, 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 the way she talked about Austin, she idolized that guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But she's, she strikes me as the one, the, the, the type of person that comes from a society or a family or, you know, has not had a good relationship in her life. Right. And this is a guy that pays attention to her and is able to give her things because that's his way of validating himself. Right. Um, so, you know, and that, that resonates with her. This is someone that's paying attention to me, you know? Right. And, you know, as far as like him going out all the time, he's greedy, pure and simple, you know, um, he, he's going out to find more stuff because like you said, you know, how's he going to profit from this? Well, they weren't the only ones to raid the cash registers. I mean, other people in the park. Oh yeah. Raided the cash registers. So there was money available for some of this stuff. Well, but, that's true. But but again, how's he going to get it to people? You know, well, I mean, it's not like he can open up one of the shops and just start selling it out of it. Yeah. Cause that was my issue. Cause he kept saying they like her, Sophie kept saying all they cared about was where our stash was, where our stash was. I'm like, well, yeah. So you know, and then when he wouldn't come back, she said, well, he'll come back to and we're just going to hunker down. I'm like, why didn't you hunker down three days ago? <laughs> you know, it's like, yes. I, and, you know, it was just so frustrating. You know what? It was his confidence in his smile and his ability to sell stuff. That was his undoing. You know, he kept thinking at some point, oh, my charm's going to work. My charm's going to work. And then it didn't. <laughs> he didn't read this. I don't think he read the situation right. I mean, and, no. and he was a. I mean, he was kind of a, he's just, he was a scavenger. He, he knew how to hustle and right. sell and hustle and sell, but he just didn't know how to protect it. Right. So right. I, I think that youth and not being in a situation like that before really hindered him. I think when he got taken by the pirates, which we don't find out until later, right. Like, it makes perfect sense. Like he was trying to get out of it still then. I think the best thing that can be said for him is that he probably did love Sophie is because he oh, never yeah. did give her up. I mean, he yeah. just, he never gave her up. Right. Um, but I agree with you, Dayton, like a thousand percent because I was like, they, he was talking about, Oh, I had to, I had to really find my way back tonight because I think somebody was following me to find a stash. Right. Like done. We're staying in. <laughs> no kidding. Doors. Nobody's mm-hmm. getting in. <laughs> they, well, they had all this stuff, man. Well, here's my thing. Um, he was one of my favorite characters. The more that I think about it. Um, okay. And uh, to try and maybe address your question here, Dayton, um, I'm a huge mythology nerd. I love like the different stories and gods of any and all nations that I can get my hands on. Right. Um, and so thinking about Austin, I'm thinking about um, he is a trickster. So I'm thinking about all of the different trickster gods when I'm uh, reading his parts or the parts about him. And the thing about all of the trickster gods, particularly Loki and Odin in Norse mythology, which is who he reminds me of the most, um, they often get themselves into trouble just as much as they get themselves out of it because part of their nature is mischief and hustle. That is all that they know how to do. Um, The only reason that Loki cuts off Sif's hair and gets Thor mad is because he was drunk and he thought it'd be funny. He can't not do it. So I think the reason why Austin like kept saying, oh, we're going to be rich off of this. There are so many ways we can exploit this situation. And the reason why he kept going out, even though it was getting harder and harder to be safe and harder and harder to 
like he knew he was in danger, but he still had to do it because uh, especially because like this is how he wrote his way out of his lot in life is he became a hustler. So his brain is constantly in that mode. He's constantly got 27 different scams running in his head. So that's probably where his mindset is. He's not recognizing the fact that you're in the wild, like the Citadel has fallen. There is no society anymore. <laughs> and none of your cons are going to work here because there's no system for you to con. And he keeps going back out just because like it's in his nature. Um, Loki at one point is trapped simply because like uh, he knows that he is in a situation where he's just stuck uh, and they're going to catch him. He's like transformed into a fish and the gods have a net. Um, but he tries to jump the net and escape into open ocean anyway, simply because it is Loki's nature to constantly try and survive to hustle another day. And he can't not try it. So I think it was like there was no way that Austin was going to stop because no matter how much he has, he's always going to want more. And he's always going to try to pull one last fast one on everybody because he doesn't know anything else and that's ultimately his downfall. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Some of the guys that I really seem to resonate the most with are the mole men. Excuse me, I'd like to request $17 for a push broom rebristling. Why, it's that delightful TV leprechaun. I'm going to get you a lucky charms. Oh no, my brains. Right? I, I love <laughs> yeah. I love the moment to a point. It gets to a point in the story where you see that the moment, you know, they, they tried to play it off as we're here for everybody, kind of like the nurses. Um, right. And it gets to a point where the, the moments screw up really bad and do a <laughs> yeah. lot of damage and yeah. kick the yeah. conflict up to a whole nother level by blowing up the exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Uh, because their leader dies. Mm -hmm. So the guy that was in yeah. charge, you know, yeah. the, you know, when he was gone, there was nobody steer steering the ship anymore. Well, right. and, and and it was an honest mistake as to why they blew that exclamation point up. Right. Well, yeah, it was. Of, it was a, it was an honest stupid mistake. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It made me think of the Martian when he's trying to make water. <laughs> I forgot to account for the XX, excess yeah. oxygen I was breathing into the air. Yeah. Because I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I you know, they were the, they were the ones that, you know, at the beginning of the book we're just going to hang back and ride this out. You know, they're, the, they're obviously the senior, the elders of the park. They're, they're right. older than the average employee there, except for, and I forget the guy's name. I don't have notes in front of me and I apologize. The guy that um, was it the guy that ran the robots. The, was that Elvis? Wasn't yeah. He like in his, wasn't he like in his forties or something? Um, is, Elvis was, he'd been, he'd been there for eight years. Okay. So you got to figure he's probably in his late twenties, early thirties, maybe 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, he's older than that because he referenced no, yeah. Mr. Tinker Train. Well, that wasn't like Elvis. A, that was that uh, wasn't Elvis. Okay, I'm sorry. That was Glenn. 
Glenn okay, Geenall. Glenn. Okay, that's okay. Of. I apologize. Ah, I forgot about Glenn. With all the long I hair apologize. and the tattoos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are the oldest guys in the park. So they've got some life experience and stuff in front of them and they kind of know how to handle themselves. And it's, I, I like them, like I said, to a point because in the, the first part of the book, they're very, you know, laid we're back. just going to, well, yeah, they're, they're laid back. You get the attitude that, you know, as soon as this rain lets up, we're going to get out and we're going to do what we can and everybody's going to get out of here. Um, and then, of course, the leader dies and chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that they're, the, also the thing that bugs me is the fact that they are the older people in the park. You would think on some level, at least some of the people within the park would look up to them as sort of like parental figures or authority figures. Why and, would they do that? They don't look up to them when they're working. Well, yeah. And the, okay. Valid point. And that's the other thing that struck out to me, you know, is that they don't, they're the type of people that I resonate with because I feel like for the majority of life, I kind of go through on the sidelines and just watch things happen. I'm not out there in the lot in the forefront, not entirely comfortable with that. I'd rather operate behind the scenes and do what I can. So to, to help a situation be the best it can be. And I, I get that vibe from these guys, at least in the beginning, like I said, until the leader dies and the quarter pound of dynamite ends up being a pound of dynamite. <laughs> <The> dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> And they put so, four stacks around it. it, it exactly. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, before I, we start talking about like our least favorite character, I think I knew everybody's is going to be. Um, that's that's they're the, they're the group that stuck out to me the most. Them okay. and them and the, and the guy that stays in the hotel. Again, I can't remember his name and I apologize. It's been that's Jason, I think. Yeah, Jason. that's no, that's Travis. Oh no! Yeah, that is Jason. Jason. Yep. Yeah. Jason yeah. Carr. Jason Carr. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if we're ready to talk about him yet or not. So when we, get I cannot him, wait. Yeah. Like, we'll, don't worry. We'll, t- we'll we'll talk about him in a few minutes. I promise. Because I hope yeah. so. So um, just to clarify Glenn. something, Glenn uh, Geigenall is actually the head of the freaks. Yes, he is. And yeah. I think we're talking about Stuart Diaz, who is the replacement for the for the original leader of the Mole People. Oh yeah, Stuart Dietz. Yeah, he's Stuart the one Dietz, that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because after yeah. Charlie dies, he's the one that takes yes. over right mm-hmm. yeah because he um because i he, actually he just wanted I, to get out of the park that he, like, yes. he makes that yes he just wanted, yeah. I just wanted to get out and, man. um and i i loved glenn i don't know if you have plans no, love, on talking glenn later or not yes i, I do wanna, okay, i do good, yeah. so yes. i will wait okay that's fine all right um so uh disney john anything else yes. you want to make sure you talk about so the one thing and it's like one question that i that i really asked myself i think starting around halfway through the book is could I really see this happening? Like okay. really? Like, I mean, like, because we're talking about 36 days where suddenly you have these distinct individual tribes and they are hunting one another or killing each other off. We think maybe possibly, we don't know. Um, and I'm just like, is this going to happen? Like, I mean, I work with college kids every day and I'm thinking like, do I see this one like just like picking up a pickaxe and going after somebody? And I just, that was the hardest thing for me to swallow. That was the one button I, I had to keep hitting. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe <laughs> throughout like, like, but, but when the story was done, I was like, okay, I can see now how that might have happened. But I was like, still like what a compressed 
like, I can't even imagine like the pressure cooker that they were in right. um, and, and the series of events to get them to those points. But I was just like, at one point during the middle of the book, I was, I was sitting there going like, really? Can, can this really happen that quickly? And it was nice because they did explain it later. Like, yeah. oh, we saw communities that did the same thing. And we saw communities that were just came together and were great together. Right. So, I mean, it was nice that he explained it. So by the end of it, I wasn't as much of really, it was more like, oh, okay. See, I was on the other side. Um, when you've seen um, at my job, I've seen people at an apartment complex in a parking lot uh, throwing punches over nothing. Like literally they're already, and these were adults. So um, it, for me, it doesn't take much to believe that in a certain situation and with a certain motivation that people can go to extremes very quickly. Right. So, and I mean, we can get to it a little bit, but there's, in my mind, there is a certain act that literally sends everybody down that, you know, that mm. holy shit moment where, you know, suddenly we're all afraid and whatever. So I, you know, it's, it's not, to me, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. To me, I was a little bit like, yeah, I can kind of see that. Cause imagine, imagine the college campus you work at. Okay. Mm -hmm. And imagine that lose power, no Wi-Fi, their phones don't work. And let's just even throw out their cars don't work. So they're literally stuck there. How long does it happen before it goes tits up? Like they kept saying in the book. I oh, mean, yeah. it, <laughs> honestly, two days, See? two days at most <laughs> because it would be hall against hall. I mean, they're, they're yes. already divided into their individual. Specific you have your, groups. you have your frat houses, you have your halls, you have this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly. It wouldn't take long. They're there. You, you have tribes on college campuses. You literally oh, do. Yeah. You know, I wish I remembered the moment when I thought really, because I mean, like, I remember walking in, I'm going like, I got to write this down because I, I really can't believe this just happened in the book. And I wish I remembered that ex- distinct moment, but it was, it was like about halfway through the book. And I've been looking at the chapters going like, when did I go? <laughs> but it was, I mean, again, I ended up with the book going like, I want to listen to it again. And I want to read on. And I really love the storytelling device of having the two, the two narrators and the different voices um, it was really, a, uh, I thought, a, a unique way to tell a story yeah. um, piece, piecemeal from different points of view. Yeah, because I like the interview idea a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, all right, Liam, anything else you want to make sure you want to mention? Anything jumped out at you that you're like, oh, my God, I got to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about um, again. the. I know I keep saying this, but I want to talk again about the realism for a second, particularly through the like method of conveying this story, which was by far my favorite thing about it. I love this type of storytelling This like fragments, like you're a detective trying to solve a crime. Like that's one of my favorite things about um, the original Dracula novel is that it's diaries and ship's logs and all this kind of stuff. And you're just trying to figure out like, what, what is real here? What's going on? But so that's the thing that I found fascinating was that really helped with the realism for me. And what made it a good story is the sense that it's really unreliable because you know that n- next to none of these people are going to be telling you the 100% truth, right? which is what we all do. We all lie our heads off every second of every day, like in little ways and big ways. And so I found that extremely realistic. And I, um, I loved that aspect as well, because my problem with Lord of the Flies is that um, 
just because it's not a very well-told story, in my opinion, and it's not very interesting. I didn't really attach to any of the characters, and it didn't feel real. All I can see is William Golding preaching to me and trying to make his little <laughs> soapbox statement about society. But this, I feel, makes a much more powerful statement about society by showing all of these different angles. You get everybody's opinion. The narrator himself, the interviewee, the interviewer, I'm sorry, is uh, completely unbiased. He's just doing his thing. It feels more realistic because you're getting everybody's voice. You're getting every side of the story, similar to Spike Lee's Katrina documentary. You right. get to see this from every angle, and it's a perfect portrayal of human society. And in that way, it makes a much better point by having no point. By the end of it, like the uh, narrator doesn't know what to think. Right. He's just presenting you. These are the facts that happened. This is what these people say. You draw your own conclusions as, as to what this says about any of us. I'm just trying to record as much of the truth as I can. Right. And to your point, the whole perspective thing, I thought that he did that really well too, because there was a couple times in two different interviews, like Clara Ann says she was the best, her best self leading those girls, leading the shop girls. Right. And she thought yeah. she was great. But then later um, anonymous says you kind of get the, the part of it that Clara didn't talk about how off the rails Clara got there at the very end. And um, you also get that with uh Jill Van Meveren, you know, uh, how she was, she defended herself and, and and all that other stuff. But then at the very end, when the national guard shows up, she comes running out and and she said, I knew I was going to die today. I knew I was going to die today. So it's like, um, which she doesn't mention in her story. You know what I mean? So both of those people left out things that were, you know, that were not flattering to them. So yeah, exactly. It's, you get the pieces in the couple, and like he brings that back a couple different times. And I, actually, I really did enjoy the the video, the guy telling about the video and what they saw. Because yes. I think that really, I think Travis it really, Barnes. yeah, it it really um was interesting because you get to see, you know, at the end and how the different groups, how some of them were just their situation, especially with uh, Glenn. <laughs> it's about fucking time. <laughs> oh my god. That would be me. Oh, man. I do want to mention that uh, I know we've talked about this in other times, all the pop culture references in here um, are great because um, some of them I caught right away and other ones I didn't. Obviously there's the star Wars references um, Nirvana. They referenced Tom Petty, Ozzy Osbourne, of course, because they use uh, Mr. Tinker train. Um, But it was you, John, that pointed out the, um, the names of the arrows, you know, Simon, Nick Egger. And I've, and I, at that point, I'd been through the book three times, and you mentioned that I'm like, "Oh, Simon Pegg, oh my god!" You know, it just like popped into my head. I'm like, "Holy, oh my god!" That's just so. I wonder. I mean, obviously, he did it on purpose, but I kind of wonder why. What was his point 
of so many, I mean, so many pop culture references. What do you guys think? What was his, what was the reasoning behind it? I mean, that's okay. how we communicate now. True. That's true. Leading back to a pop culture reference. We've done it multiple times and already tonight, just talking about this book, bringing up other things that have, that it has sprung to mind and, and referenced. So, I mean, it's, it's a part of our culture now. It's a part of how, it's a part of how social media works to a right. certain degree. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that's something that in one way it makes it, you know, it, again, it makes it more real because it's something that, you know, when reading or listening to it, you know, the star Wars reference pops out you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. I remember <laughs> that. Or, you know, the, the arrow Simon, Nick Edgar, you know, the first time listening to it, I, I didn't catch it. The second right. time I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's very, like I said, it's just a very, it's how we communicate. All right. Disney John, what do you think? I think it's how the cool communicate with the cool. And I wasn't very cool for this book because there's a lot of musical <laughs> references and I completely miss them. Like, like you're going to have to explain the Simon Nick Egger thing because okay. I don't know that. Okay. So, well, you go ahead, John. You're the one to point it out to me. Okay. Those are Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, or Nick. Um, no, Frost, Nick Frost. Yeah. Nick yeah, Frost, Frost right. and Edgar. Um, right. 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 Who are famous for the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and End of the World. So, what's the plan? Okay. Take Pete's car, go around Mum's, go in, deal with Philip. Sorry, Philip. Grab Mum, go to Liz's, pick her up, bring her back here, have a cup of tea, and wait for all this to blow over. Perfect. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Uh, see, yeah. I would have never gotten. That. Okay, wait. Um, yeah, that's a more. Su- that's one of the more subtle references. Yeah, it is because, like I said, it was three times through before you. You know, I, you when you mentioned it to me, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, um, you've seen the star, uh, the Star Trek reboots, right, John Disney John? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Simon yeah. Pegg, who uh, plays Scotty. Oh, yeah. okay. There it is. There it yeah. is. Okay. Okay. Um, he's also in the Mission Impossible flicks. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. He's the tech guy. The best yes. character. Yeah. It's interesting. I used to have this professor at Oxford, okay, Dr. Wickham. His name was, he was like this massive fat guy, you know, a huge big guy. We used to call him, <laughs> you know, well, I won't tell him we used to call him, but he taught biomolecular kinetics and cellular dynamics. And he used to sort of scare the underclassmen with this story about how the world would eventually be eviscerated by technology. You see, it was inevitable that a, a, a compound would be created, which he referred to as the anti-god. It was like an accelerated mutator, or sort of, you know, like a, uh, an unstoppable force of, of, of destructive power that would just lay waste to everything, to buildings and parks and streets and children and ice cream parlors, you know? So whenever I see, like, a rogue organization willing to spend this amount of money on a mystery tech, I always assume it's the anti-god. End of the world kind of stuff, you know? But no, I don't have any idea what it is. I was just speculating. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that too. Die in the chair. Well, and then um, when uh, I think it was, I can't remember which one of the interviews it was, but he was saying, uh, um, we just had, you know, he just, we were just waiting, which the wise man once said is the hardest part, which of course is a Tom Petty reference to his song. The waiting is the hardest part. That was so, one of the moment. Yeah, one of the moment. Yeah, the fine art of waiting it out. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and I just 
I'm going to, one of these days I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down all the ones I know, because there's, there's gotta be at least 20 or so in here. So. It was so, and, and to, to honestly answer your question and, and I, I'm 100% with John. I, I do believe that's how we communicate today because um, I remember when I first read um, Ready Player One, the, yes. the amount of pop culture. I mean, that was a book of pop yeah. culture. That's all it was. Love that um, book. So, God, so, like, book. so when you guys started saying there was pop culture references in here, I'm like, oh, I'm getting old because I missed <laughs> them, right? I'm like, how did I miss <laughs> Oh, these? poor John. I know. I was just like, oh, I am, I'm, I'm at that age now all of a sudden. It's just like, I didn't see it. Now I'm sad. So, um, <laughs> but I do agree that that is how we communicate today is, is always making pop culture references. I mean, I've got several friends of mine that we can, that's how we communicate is through pop culture. So, right. yeah. Now, if it makes um, you feel any better, John. I have those moments at work sometime. And again, I'm surrounded by 15 year olds. Like I'm only 20, 22, but like I'll throw out a reference to something that's not even that obscure. Some of my references are pretty obscure, but like I'll throw out like reasonable ones. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Shut up. I'm not old. Yeah. We won't even get into some of those that happen at work for me. Um, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. I shuddered at a thing. Uh, I remember asking somebody at work, did you ever see movie seven? They're like, what? Like, oh, oh, no. Well, how was well, number six? Hey, well, I can, shut up. <laughs> I can better that one. I, I, I can better that one. You go right ahead. I had, to, I had to explain to a co-worker who Paul McCartney was. What? <gasps> Damn! Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You are lying to me no, right I'm now. No, I'm not. That's oh, terrible. My God. That's terrible. Uh, um, that poor person indeed okay so there's a reoccurring theme that i caught uh this was a recent um catch that in multiple interviews um like for instance i think it was uh it was Stuart deets when they after uh charlie got killed after the council of pieces which is indeed a great name um <laughs> yeah when they got back and those uh, two of the women were crying and he makes his reference. He says, you know, I remember back when my kids were crying and they wouldn't stop. So I always would, you know, talk to them and get them doing something. And then earlier, uh, one of them says, you know, I hung around a lot of camp counselors and had to deal with kids that were homesick and they always gave them something to do. And and then they had also made a comment uh, early on when they came out of the shelters, everybody was just standing around. And then, you know, and Clara Ann gave them something to do. They feel like, yeah, okay, sure. So you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think that literally all this could have been avoided had, you know, Sam actually given them something to do, <laughs> you know, you know, Seriously. instead of just saying you should just follow the protocols. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's very key uh, to how quickly, you know, it went tits up, like they kept saying in the book. Yep. So um, I just, it wasn't, I mean, obviously I kind of figured that out, but it's like, I, it's referenced at least three or four times throughout the book that one of the, you know, each there's like at least three or four different characters that make that comment in a different way. So I thought that was very interesting, very interesting. So I'm looking it up now, but um, like, Oh yeah, that's it. So it, it's, it is a old proverb, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yes. And, yes. and, yeah. and getting them to do things like, I mean, when, so again, former Navy, um, when you're on board, there's you, you have a 450 foot long vessel that you're on and no place else to go. So you <laughs> need things to do. 
Um, so I totally, yes. Like I, I can't, I under every time, every mention that you just made, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Oh God. Like, yeah, you're right. It is a theme that, that is kind of a reoccurring one. It's like, and it seems like it holds true. If you really, if you apply that to the different bands that did things and the ones that didn't do things, like right. it seems like all the idle, the idle people really, I don't know, kind of flubbed it at some point well and the fairies they just literally didn't do anything right. <laughs> they literally were just there to and fall. decimated right and gone they were they the all, sacrifice yeah they all ended yeah. up in other in other uh in other tribes so mm-hmm. yeah all right let's move on to the questions okay. we'll go with start with you john sure. which was your favorite interview man that's a tough one um <laughs> But I mean, there's several I like, and we we've mentioned them already. You know, Glenn, you know, the guy that was in the hotel, the guy that was in the luxury hotel. Okay, that would be so, Jason Card, chapter Jason 18. Card, yes, yeah. he's actually he's actually my favorite. Mine too. Favorite. So let's talk about Jason. Then. Yes. Okay. So um, actually, let's combine questions. Sure. Who had the better plan, Jason, the freaks, or the moleman? I mean. Honestly, I love Jason's idea. Like you said, I was the only one that thought about it, mm-hmm. which was great until he wasn't the only one there. Which we have to talk about that too. We do. Yeah, I have that. Okay. I have it. I have a note there before we get out of here that we we're going to discuss the warthogs. Um, oh, yes. Because my thing is, I mean, he did have a lot of time. So why not? I don't know. Why not set up, you know, traps or, or something you know something to you know i guess he just didn't think who's going to go trudging through all that water to get here so and then once he was but see once he was there i mean i liked his idea i'm going to wait this out i'm going to be smart i'm going to figure mm-hmm. things out which is which is a good idea but at some point he had to kind of go on the offensive yes because they weren't going away the warhogs weren't going anywhere no they were you know? not Especially the the one that the chick you know gave him that creepy wave like I see oh, you, <laughs> man. But could you imagine? I mean, he's like you know it's and it was dark and it was super dark and they're like man, that would have freaked me out. Being I mean even though you could hear everything, being in that resort all by myself at night, I don't know if I could have slept with as quiet and as dark it would have been. Man, I that it's like both brilliant and terrifying all at the same time. What do you guys think? His I'm on board with him. Go yeah. ahead, John. I'm, on, Go ahead, John. I'm, I'm sorry. His is an interview that I, I, I call some of it into question. Um, primarily the things that he claims that have happened since he was rescued. And the fact, okay. that, he gets, that, the fact that he gets letters from these. He gets postcards. Yep. The postcards. I totally yeah. buy that though. And I have a theory as to why. Okay. Ooh. I mean, and that's fine. Um, but again, it, and it's probably just my general distrust of people um, <laughs> as a whole, no offense to anyone, but um, you know, I, I, I wonder how much of his story again, like the other ones is, is, is painted in a way that he wants to paint it to make himself come out better than he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, his is the plan that that was one of the first things that, sprung in my mind when i'm listening to this i'm like okay we're we're x number of days in and, and nobody's bothered to go to a hotel yet <laughs> i mean that's honestly nope. when i le- if i was one of the people that left the tunnels provided i could get to a hotel 
my soft little hind end is going to a hotel and laying down in a bed. <laughs> well, um, they answered that for not going, for not leaving the tunnels to go out because of the water and the soft mud. And they were worried they were just going to be walking out there and then and hit a soft spot and then just sink. So they they answered yeah. that early on. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he can't be the the, the one thing that sticks out to me is he can't be the only one that thought of it or tried it. Right. You're probably right. I think the people that thought about it were probably talked out of it by their friends and the tribes. tribes. Yeah. By the tribes. Well, and Um, it was tribe pride by that point too, because like like if we, if, if we as a tribe leave to go to one of these locations, our air, our territory will now be given up and we can't be seen as weak. So. (laughs) Right. Which I don't understand at all, but yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I mean, I, I kind of get it, but not really. Well, it's, but yeah, but that's a whole nother, dis- I mean, that's something we can get no, into. I know. Anyway, that's so. a whole scout yeah. party. <laughs> you just sent a scout party out, people. Well, they did that. And that's what one dude lost his hands, you yeah. know? So one guy lost his hands, the two mole men, one of them never came back. Hmm? Right. Right. So and that's what, and that's what I think sets that mindset as to why nobody went to the hotels. They're, they're yeah. worried about going past a certain place. Right. Well, yeah, it was. At least it wasn't flooded inside the park is probably what they're right. thinking. So why why go trudging through the water? So um how about the freaks? Genius. Utter exactly, genius. yeah. Yes. Utter genius. I know because everybody has stayed the hell away from them. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> was know? um I I was uh waiting my turn um and I'm like readjusting my notes in my head because I have like I have like full essay responses to all the questions and now I'm having to edit. <laughs> uh for the combinations um this isn't class you don't have to do an essay i was really (laughs) enjoying the book though and i had had thoughts i had lots of thoughts but no honestly like success rate notwithstanding i i have to say the freaks had the best plan um i guess i guess technically the shop girls had the best plan because i i don't know how accurate the reading was but I think one of them says, I think the leader said something like, if you measure it out, like we had the least deaths or something like that. But well, I might actually, be misremembering and we don't know how accurate her count is. Well, no, I think actually, uh, I think it was Glenn that said they didn't lose they lost anybody. nobody. Yeah, they, they didn't they, lose they, anybody. Oh, theirs, okay. was, theirs was the most successful plan if you go by numbers because right. they because i mean like well early on in the book they're talking about all these heads that are on spikes i'm like jesus christ oh you know what that's the moment i was like heads on spike good god <laughs> how the hell did this be- like there's <laughs> no way this is believable and then they explain it later i was like genius right glenn mm-hmm. you're just genius like i 100 yeah. agree i that was um i think that one was the um, I appreciate you pointing that out, John. Um, correcting me there because that quote from Clara was like messing with me. I was like, wait, like who has the right count of <laughs> like least deaths? But anyway, I, I think that the freaks had the best plan. It was certainly the most creative and it was my favorite. Um, yeah. when everyone else is like scared stiff and it has crazy creeping into them from one way from one degree or another. Um, this scarecrow tactic of harnessing that fear and using it to your advantage um, can often be more effective than any army. Um, it took forever for anybody to really try and poke at him. And really, like, they, the freaks never got into trouble until they got drawn out by having to go to the 
council of pieces, which why anybody was stupid. That was the most unrealistic part for me was why anybody was stupid enough to actually go to that thing was beyond me. But yeah, um, Jason, I think, was a close second. He definitely had the right idea with hiding in the Dreamland Resort. That would have certainly been my methodology. I would have like, let's just bug out and call it even. Okay, what are we even talking about this thing for? Like full on. Hudson from Aliens, right? Like the second Brock Hockney drops, not Batman with that stanchion. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. Right. I'm going to go somewhere else far away from this. I know where this I know how this ends. I'm gone. I think it's actually Um, my favorite name. That's not an actual name was not Batman. (laughs) Not Batman. That was great. I loved that unofficial title. Um, But yeah, the problem with Jason was that he didn't fortify his position like, okay, you found an isolated location. You're away from everybody else. This is your turf. You're going to just write it out. So Home Alone, Predator, Aliens, <laughs> like fortify your position, set up defenses and booby traps, get a- find. The other thing was, I don't understand why he was hopping around. Like I get you're just enjoying like having a whole hotel all to yourself. But like that, you're just asking for trouble at that point. You need to gather all the resources you can get your hands on, find the best defensible location and block off everything else. You want to know why you don't put defenses up in a situation like that? Because then people, yeah, people know that you're there. (laughs) I I mean, like genuinely, that's that that's the reason. So his his idea of of like because he was talking about at the beginning of the chapter was like like patience like my parent my dad taught me patience when we were hunting like right you can't move don't make a sound and he was doing well until the creepy warthogs came in and really i think they creeped him out more than anything else like he was i think oh, he was yeah. able to be by mm-hmm. himself he was able to be there in the dark he was able to um maintain himself there but i don't disagree with he should have had several little store caches throughout the entire building right. where he could just lock himself in and just wait it out and 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 never have to be seen yeah well and that's the thing it was he also like he like he got too curious and he allowed himself to be seen like the minute you know somebody's in your spider's web you gotta find a hole to like wait him out on and like the second they saw him like you either need to grab a bug out bag and find another place to hide or you need to like go on the offensive and have a duel out because at that point you're just screwed I blame the curiosity on just human nature where oh, yeah. we need oh, yeah. that human contact. So he's just oh, like, boredom. well, what's going on? Shit, they saw me in their wearing masks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I 100% agree. Well, I'm, my I'm thing is like, when they left, why avoidable. didn't he leave? Like when they left, because there was, there was that one time we watched them leave. Yes. So why no. stay at that point? exactly right that's i thought he was gonna tell me he was gonna bug out then he's like okay well i'm getting out of here because they know where i'm at i mean and he said at the beginning of the chapter like there's like a lot of hotels around the area well hey mm-hmm. he's he worked at one let's go try another one yeah and, go to a different one yeah. yeah yeah he he's the only character in this book that i don't feel as far as the core of their story doesn't really have an ulterior motive for anything exactly. no no he was no, just trying to survive done. exactly <laughs> I think yeah. his is a story that you can believe the most as well, other than maybe when he's being chased around, because I think he screamed like a little girl running away from them. <laughs> I, mean, I think I would have too, though. <laughs> are you saying you could control that, John? Nope. Nope. You're nope. That's I'm screaming nope. more like a girl. Instinct? I just don't run. I walk. Right. So uh, that's true. So who else has a favorite interview? I do. All right, Liam, go ahead. Um, I, I had to bump 
Jason. I had him as my favorite, but I had to bump him to who, which one shocked you the most? Because um, my favorite was Brock Hockney's. Honestly, really? I, oh, for the writing okay. alone, I don't like his character at all. He's a horrible person. I'm not condoning anything, but <laughs> which interview was my favorite was his. Um, because he's been built up so much throughout this entire book. He's one of the last mm-hmm. interviews. You've had yep. so many different accounts. He's turned into like this, like Moriarty level of like mysterious villain. And you finally get to meet him. And I'm thinking there's no way that Mike is going to be able to deliver on all this buildup. But I'll be damned if he did. And right. in an amazing way, the characterization and atmosphere through just so little from him. Uh, I felt it was on par with like Hannibal Lecter and some of the best Joker Batman interactions. Um, His uh, personality and his mannerisms um, made really good on all the foreshadowing and third party descriptions that we got. And the biggest shock to me was how realistic and yet surreal he was when you were with him uh the way he wrote this evil is like some of the best villains are written you can tell from the mindset of they are the heroes of their own story the best villain is the hero of his own story yeah so um i i also thought a lot about bill the butcher from gangs of new york because i love that movie (laughs) all right Uh, all right when you're in the same room with brock you have difficulty comprehending how someone can so completely believe that this is their like they are on the righteous path they are making the right decisions their moral code is the correct one when they're committing these atrocities and creating this horrible cult but uh history has shown us that it happens more often than you think and so i like that was my favorite interview just because like more than the two um parts of this book where I felt the most in the moment, like I was there were Jason's where I was in Jason's head and Brock's where I'm the narrator. And I know this guy is like, we're in a prison and he's handcuffed to this table, but I feel like he's somehow going to be able to kill me if I say the wrong thing. Like he makes him call him, Sir, Mr. Hockney, totally, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Hockney, he totally doesn't have to, right? He 100 does not have to, but just the like manipulative aura that this guy has, like it, it reminds me of Bill the Butcher. At one point, um, I can't remember who, but somebody like some random character says calls him Bill, and he looks at it and he looks at her and says, "Like, have we ever interacted before?" And you don't call me by my Christian name. And he's holding a knife at the time. (laughs) And so like you're waiting for that knife to go into that lady. And here he accomplishes the same thing when he's in prison. There's no way that this guy can hurt him right now. I don't know. He even even made that comment. It's like, I can have at your windpipe. I bet I can get it out before the security guards get me. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So. So it just it felt it was just so beautifully written and like it we've had all of this build up and the payoff when I was so worried that it wasn't going to follow through. The payoff was fantastic. It was one of the best written characters of the entire thing. All right. So how do we feel about Hockney? John, what do you think? Is he, 
Was he well written? Um, was he, he nuts? <laughs> he, he's well written. He's probably a little nuts, but um, I think you know, along with a lot of the other great villains in literature and film, is as twisted and messed up as they are. And some on some level somewhere, the ones that really stick out to us, we see a part of our personality in them, whether we want to admit it or not. I mean, it's part of the reason I like Heath Ledger's Joker so well is because he has no fucking clue what he's doing the entire <laughs> time, or at least comes off that way. Right. And, you know, he 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 does, as you learned, you know, and this guy is he's got this charisma about him that attracts a certain type of individual to him and he knows it right and you know unfortunately for his brother who also works at the park who dies very early on in the book by not being able to find of all things his asthma inhaler mm. and you know and sam garlic he's like you know well, the acorn couldn't fall that far from the tree. Right. You know, you know, we don't know anything about his brother. His brother could have been saint of the year for all we know, you know, nursed little starving kittens back to health and, and walked little ladies across the street and, and gave 90% of his check to a charitable organization. But he's colored because of his association with his shit ass <laughs> I, I mean i'm sorry i've been watching a lot of reservation dogs lately so that uh, <laughs> but um but yeah i mean and and that's that's a compliment and a dig at brock hockney that he has that much of an aura that he cast it out on all of his other family members and all those around him that may or may not have had anything to do with him. Right. What about you, Disney John? All right. Here comes. I found what I was looking for with Brock Hockney. All right. Um, Let's hear it. It was, it was during the interview. Um, and it was this answer that I really think kind of, I don't want to say set the tone for the entire thing, but you definitely, I think this gives some insight into who Brock Hockney was. He did things because they had to be done. Um, similar to that political figure we were talking about earlier that is a dumbass. Um, I just think, I think this guy has got to do things that he thinks will, it's the most effective way to, to wrangle a situation. It might not be the correct way, but it's the most effective and efficient way to take care of it. So this is Brock Hockney. He says, on the advice of my attorney, here's what I recall. When I came out of the emergency shelters, I was understandably upset. I was upset at the leadership of the park. I was upset at the death of my brother by easily preventable means. I was upset at my circumstances. When I saw the poor gentleman on the ground, clearly suffering and clearly wounded beyond the skills of our most gifted medical practitioners, I I took a heavy metal stanchion and hit his head with it until I saw what I thought to be brain matter. I then stopped. There was an audience, and that audience should feel ashamed of themselves for not taking action when it was crystal clear there was action to be taken. Yes. Uh, to me, that is absolutely who Brock Hockney was. He was just like, he saw a man suffering on the ground. He says, okay, I kill him. Okay, and he's done suffering. Let's carry yes. on. 
But I think it's no responsibility for his action. No, he didn't. No, he doesn't. He transfers the responsibility to everyone around him. Yeah, to how they reacted to him. Well, no, no, he didn't. That was him just saying, like, there's an audience here. They didn't act. Why didn't they kill this guy? Because because clearly this man should have been killed. Well, yeah. The funny thing is how he says his brother um, died, you know, it shouldn't have died. I'm like, why didn't his brother have his own inhaler? chaos of the situation because garlic's in yeah. charge down there they lose power he loses his thing he probably got jostled so it's, it's on the dark, ground somewhere a, yeah and if you've never been in a completely dark situation i'm talking like well, dark hand and hand touching your nose and you still can't see it like like it is it can get disorienting and frightening very quickly right well i still don't blame that on management because it, nobody I don't blame that on management yeah. i blame how it was handled on management well true i love brock's explanation of like nobody was doing anything nobody was trying to help him nobody was trying to get him medicine nobody was putting him out of his misery everyone was just watching it happen i i also think that the death of his brother i think his brother was probably the calming factor in his life um and probably Mm -hmm. the one who kept him the sane the most so that when his brother died that was the end of his of brock hockney's normal universe and he had to figure his life out without his brother Mm -hmm. um i I wonder what the story would be if his brother hadn't died what was interesting that you know he would do these things and then be surprised when people got scared how they were like you it's like you you set up these rules no stealing but yet you didn't tell anybody you know they go into it's like they're trying to get the stuff back you know, Tom's trying to get the stuff back, but then they cut his hands off and then he mm-hmm. acts, they leave the hands there with a stanchion. And, yeah. And then they yeah. act. And then he later he says, well, you know, I didn't do that on part. I'm like, what do you mean? You didn't do it. You know, it's just but like cut his just, hands off. My he dude. compartmentalized. He was he was like, everybody's out to get us. And and this had to be done. I'm like going, wow. Dude. But yeah, I think his I think if I think his brother dying flipped a switch because the idea that Sam Garlic and his other management was raping and be, doing all this horrible yeah, stuff like going no. it's like you're just making up stuff to make yourself yeah. feel better just by all your actions so do you remember wow. when he said like i took the can in there just to see if i could do it yes yeah. to yes. me that, to me that's the like, like that's the moment where you go no he's just screwed in the head yeah he's he's broken he's broken up yep. there so uh liam alluded to it um which interview shocked you the most john I don't know that any shocked me the most. I think the one that probably pissed me off the most. Okay. Is Sam Garlic. Uh, (laughs) Because as, as I've said that, you know, Brock doesn't take any responsibility for his actions. Mm. Neither does Garlic. Well, no, he's a terrible manager. Uh, Passes the buck. Yeah, exactly. It was everybody else's fault. It was everybody else's fault. (laughs) <laughs> no know, one was and, listening he, to me. I was trying to lead. Right. But, you know, but, but everything he did was perfect, you know, and did he kill that girl? Hell yes. He killed that. Yeah, girl. Oh, you think Listen, he did, huh? I have that's a whole really speech about why with, he killed that girl. That's the one that was attacking <laughs> him with a keyboard. I think, I think he beat her to death. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but my thing is if, he, if wait, here's see my only problem with it. Cause I think he's lying about the whole interaction with her because my thing is if you beat somebody's head against the wall are they really going to make it that far down the hall to get to the exit door i mean you know i mean that that seems like a a big t- thing to ask of somebody who's have you ever been... seen a chicken with its head cut off 
That's a chicken. <laughs> it will, it's the same premise. If they will, right. they will run around without a head on. So yes, I can believe that. I mean, unless he beat her to a pulp and there is brain matter on the ground, yeah. which is not how they described it. Right. So yeah, she can make it that far. But see, and I, I don't picture him as being a very physically intimidating man. No, 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 not at all. In my mind, he looks like Niles from Frasier. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Oh, you just ruined that character for me. Oh my god. <laughs> Poor Niles. That's the, that's the vibe. I, I get I get that and I get a certain again, I can't I, I don't mean to bring politics into it, but I get a certain political figure. <laughs> Um, I did everything I was supposed to do and nobody listened to me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and it's their fault for not, it's their fault for not reading their manual. It's their fault for not knowing what it is I'm doing for them, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know, when the shit really hits the fan, the dude hides for two weeks, locks himself (laughs) away for two weeks. Yep. (laughs) You know, all right. Um, I love and it. That's and the same garlic we love and know. Right. All right, Disney John. Uh, which one shocked you the most? I had two. We've already discussed one, which was um, Brock Hockney. Um, I was I was shocked at how open he was with everything that he talked about because he was when he talked about stuff, he was very open. So I was shocked about that. The one that I, I don't, I can't say that I was shocked about, but I, the one that I thought like kind of shone a light on the entire situation because up until this point I started having doubts as to whether anybody was killed or not or dismembered or like anything. It was uh, interview 20. It was two chapters after uh, Jason cards was Travis Barnes, the former Lieutenant of the national uh, Florida Florida national guard um, with his video and, and it showing proof positive video evidence that these people were killed. They were laid out in the street. I mean, like, like the, the, the raw imagery that was coming from that and what people were thinking and hearing and stuff that to me was probably the most shocking was, it was like, Oh shit, that was actually real. Like, like that right. actually happened. It actually really happened because, because like you had questions up until that point, like, like the author did a really good job at playing with, well, did that really happen? Did it not really happen? Like, Oh gosh, what happened here? And, and then finally at the end, when you, when you get this video from this former Lieutenant and you're just like, Oh shit, it really happened. Like then all of a sudden it's like, it, then it's real. And then you're hit with uh Brockney just shortly after that. And it's just like, crap, this is amazing. All right. So general question, do you guys upload the video? Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> John, There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> He's being quiet. I'm being quiet. In all honesty, I probably would. I want. Yeah, I think I, I would, would too. I, I, I want to say I wouldn't, but yeah, I probably would. All right. So the one that um, I kind of referred to it earlier a little bit. Uh, the one that shocked me the most was anonymous. Um, because I think you really get a sense of how, by that point, how everything had gone really bad, because. Um, when right after they, because you know when they come up with that plan to go after the cannon, and uh, and they, you know, she's just so frustrated because she's like, "What do you mean? You know, there's no plan, real plan. We're just going to go look at it and try to figure it out, whatever." And then they dunk it in the pond, which was great. And then yeah. they run away and they end up in that taffy store, and it, and then here are these allies that just did something awesome, and then the one guy starts trying to stab her friend in the neck. It's like. 
why are you now killing each other? You were just working together and she couldn't believe it, you know, and then she, um, you know, stabby McStabby and, you know, freckles and she beats freckles head in and all this other stuff. And then she talks to Clara and she's like, well, and Clara said, you know, she's like, why that happen? We just did something great. You know, why they attack us. And, and, uh, she and Clara just looked at her. She says, now, you know, which means Clara's lost her mind. And now it's like, okay, now we literally going to fight to every one of us is dead. If we never get out of here. And that to me, I mean, it was already bad, but that to me kind of was like, okay, there's people in here that really think they're never getting out and it's going to be literally the last man standing. So that out of everything else that happened, that one kind of shocked me the most. I think hers is the most honest interview out of anybody in the park. Well, yeah, because there's no name attached to it. Exactly. So (laughs) there's no fear of repercussion. There was a little bit like there was a little bit. I'm sorry because I'm going to do this to you. But then she also made comments like, you know, fuck her and fuck her, you know, like going like, you know, she deserved it. And, and okay. all, this, all this other stuff, she was so angry and, you know, and then she was like, and then when they were talking about trying to over like assassinate Clara, she was just like, just let her be, you know, and it, it, she just kind of lost at that point. She didn't care. You know, she, I was, think she was broken at that point. Oh, they, they always, yes. absolutely. Cause when she thought, you know, I'm, you know, she's like, so Clara flat out told her, you know, that's now, you know. And she was like, okay, I've lost it. <laughs> no, I'm mm-hmm. done. So yeah, that one shocked me the most. Liam, did you have one shocked you the most? Yeah. Jason cards shocked me the most for two reasons. Okay. Uh, first, it seemed like he had the best idea. Um, you know, uh, it like I'm going through this entire book and I'm all I'm thinking is, why is anybody staying in this damn park? Like I said, I quoted Hudson earlier from aliens. Like just leave, just leave the minute bodies start hitting the floor, get out. Um, And so finally somebody does that. And you're like, finally, we're going to get some hope in this story. And you can see how like, even then, even when you think somebody has the best idea, it can go just so terribly South. (laughs) <laughs> in all of the ways. And I think it's just blind luck that he managed to survive. Like, I think nine times out of 10 in that scenario, those warhogs get him. All right. Yeah, I see that. Um, secondly, the warthogs seem to serve the same purpose in this book that the mysterious beast that some of the boys think they're seeing in the jungle serves in Lord of the Flies. But the difference is that Mike said, Let's make the warthogs real, though, because in Lord of the Flies, I never got anything to convince me that it was even remotely possible that there really was this monster out there or it's Satan or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, therefore, all I could see was this like thesis statement that uh, Golding is trying to rather ham fistedly put forward to you. So when we start getting hearsay reports about like, you know, like we're talking to the freaks and well, then there were some people who even with the weed and the booze couldn't take the like forgot that we were playing a character in order to survive. They forgot that we're scarecrows and not actual monsters. You know, you're getting all this stuff that's just friend of a friend saw. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for it to be, ah, oh, it's just going to be the same thing again. Darn it, I was liking this book. 
And then we have a guy who actually encounters these things and it's gripping. It has twists and turns. It's everything you expect from a good monster story. And once you're out of it and you start telling yourself there's still enough gray area, there's no way that there are actual reavers running around. Um, you know, he, it could have been fake like the circus or it could have been pirates having a little more fun than even the pirates were having. Um, maybe when he waded through the water to the hotel, he got sick somehow and was hallucinating all of this. Um, and then Mike gives you the teaser of the postcards and you're like, oh, God, because that was my you were talking Dayton about um, uh, that moment being kind of like when you realize like, oh, everybody's crazy. This was my like everybody's crazy moment because like lunatics and tribes I can kind of deal with like I'm gonna just get out I'm not gonna play your warriors come out and play game I'm I'm gonna leave this battle royale but when even that doesn't make you safe because now we got like reaver type people running around and they're real and they can get you get to you even after you leave the park that was my moment of oh god there, this, this is a suicide mission. Like nobody's getting out of this. <laughs> All right. So since you brought them up, let's talk theories about the warthogs. Disney John, do you have a good theory for us? Honestly, I think it's two sadistic children that love to torment other people in their lives. And they found a very safe, anonymous way to do it. And they happened upon the best mark. That's my theory. Like, because I, I know you and I had talked about this one previously, and I still right. haven't found where it was mentioned but um i i genuinely think it's just two very sadistic people boyfriend girlfriend whatever that found something similar in one another and they decided to go around town and start just you know torturing people all right so were they, were they employees or were they you know because they weren't they weren't members of the freaks because he said they didn't lose any of their people right and i'm gonna say no they're not i'm gonna say that they're actual um uh, visitors to the park. Okay. That made right. the decision to stay. All right. What about you, John? Uh, I, I will buy into that theory. I'll throw a, I'll throw a really odd one out there. Okay. It's Brock Hockney and his girlfriend. Who's not mentioned in the book or some girl that's attracted to him. And this is the way of him getting his more sadistic side out without being seen. Hmm. I hadn't even considered that. That's not a bad idea. There's a thought. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, you never see them in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cause he, and, um, and he actually was the first one to tell uh, the rest of the pirates not to go to the freaks to stay away from the freaks. So I, you know, that's not a, that's not a, I hadn't even considered that's a pretty good idea. Now, you know, the only thing I would say to counter John's is they know where this guy lives supposedly. So I don't know how necessarily visitors to the park would, get that information i'm sure there's a way they could he could have dropped something or, or yeah some, or something true. along that line but again it's a fictional story so if we rip holes into everything we're not, we're gonna do <laughs> well here's the thing like we have to assume like based on the postcards the warthogs got out just like everybody else right. who survived and mm -hmm. the minute everybody's out and back in society like the media grabs this thing by the throat and everybody's being hounded. So I'm sure that like they they 
like heard his name or saw his picture somewhere. And now that we're in society and the Internet is a thing, it's a whole lot easier to be a serial killer when you got Google Maps. Well, yeah, I like uh, and I was just thinking that I was thinking that maybe it's just one of the other cast was well, sorry, Disney um, cast members there that were um, that didn't like Jason secretly. And, and he told them all that story. And they're like, oh, I'm going to fuck with this kid from now on. And just <laughs> randomly, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, OK, so I'm 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 of the mind that um, they are employees um, because I think they know knew who Jason was which allows them to be able to figure out where he is because they know his name. So they can just look right. him up. Um, they also knew uh, where to get tools, knew to where to get the costumes mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now um, your average uh, park guest is not going to know all that stuff. Right. So, um, so I think it's just obviously two, a no, two characters that we never really knew as far as by name, but I'm convinced they were actual employees and they knew Jason somehow. Maybe maybe they even worked at the hotel or wherever he worked, you know, with him. That's why they knew him. Because you know, it's easy not to know everybody you work with because when you're in a park that big, all those you know hundreds of people that are working there. So I think they knew him, and that's what made it you know even more frightening. And I think they were, even though the National Guard said you know the bodies were, they found nothing. They found it was unremarkable was their comment mm-hmm. about the, you know, but there was three pieces, there was pieces of three bodies in there. So um, that's my theory that they were, their employees and they knew who he was. So they're able to find him after the fact. So did the pirates get all of the fairies? Yes, pretty much. The one guy, Oh, what was his name? That was the head of the fairies. Um, oh, I can't the remember. One that, remember he was honest. He stayed there because he was trying to yeah. get laid. Yeah, and he was trying to uh, get them to do something and nobody ever did anything. And that's why they got picked apart because he was there when because yes. um, remember, he was there when uh, Austin got killed and had to fight and then became mm-hmm. a pirate. Yeah. So, wow. I, nice I had a I just had a random thought that maybe like I'm <laughs> I'm less trying to work the problem and more think about like what would be an interesting reveal uh-huh. um, from a storytelling standpoint. Um, but so I was wondering, I was thinking to myself, like, what if it was a couple of fairies? Like, what if it was a couple of fairies that like <laughs> through the course of events with the pirates and maybe some other stuff happened to them, like they just kind of snapped or maybe they weren't all there in the first place. And like there they got pushed like way past the edge and became these warthog things. <laughs> The crazy, the other crazy, awful wall solution I had since is that we don't really get a timeline of when a lot of this stuff happens, when a certain character dies or goes missing. Or what if it's Austin? What if that's what's, oh god? So, what if that's some of his trips out? Oh my oh, god! I what if Austin's yeah, but who, secretly crazy? Yeah, oh, but who, didn't uh, they the both girl, die? Didn't they Clarine. both die? Who Sophie? No. Yeah, Sophie. Did, did, no, did she Sophie made it out. Make it? Yeah, because yeah. she was on trial. Remember, she got a, she uh, oh, right. kept saying it wasn't her. It was a guy oh. in the hoodie. So, so yes, yeah, Sophie made it, was, it out. So then maybe it's Sophie sending them the cards. Ooh, ooh, I like that. I'll buy that. <laughs> nice. All That's right, way better than mine. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reveal for you. All right. So, uh, is there anything else um, you guys want to bring up before we wrap this up? Anything? I, I think my one biggest problem with the shop girls. How the hell does a theme park sell compound bow and arrows? 
<laughs> hey man, it's like the it's it's like any kind of uh, MacGuffin that you need. You're just like, I need a MacGuffin to make this awesome compound bow. Yeah, but I mean, okay. There's, following there's that some, logic, well, there's why don't some... they sell kayaks? <laughs> well, because they didn't have a river ride. Because there was no movies where kayaks, you know, were were awesome. <laughs> so I mean, Deliverance. Um, Ew, no, still not. No, that wasn't awesome. No, no. why would you even say that? <laughs> well, squeal like a pig. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> the warthogs. No, never mind. Oh, that's my one big flaw with the, the with the book, and it's minor, I guess, in the scheme of things. But it that they just for some reason that really bugged me. The compound bows. Yeah, I yeah. just don't. Not, I not the black the powder or the actual. Uh, well, there's the actual jails too. and. <laughs> well, the black powder makes more sense at least because pyrotechnics. So I mean, that, authenticity, that's authenticity. That was the thing. <laughs> that was the thing. Um, to talk about where they got all this stuff, I one of the things that I also liked the most about this book was the preamble where it's like like he gets a whole bunch of different interviews to lay out from like all the different sides of this perfect storm, uh, including the storm itself, how this was like the perfect scenario for all this stuff to happen, including um, Fresno's obsession with realism and like making it real and perfecting his dream. So like, it has to be real torches. It has to be real lanterns. It has to be real black powder has to be real uh, sharpened steel pirate swords. Um, I want my comic shop in Hero Haven to be a real comic shop. So get a comic nerd and let him sell whatever the hell he wants and put actual Deadpool samurai swords in there. That that like supply store, wherever they the Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever it was <laughs> they were in, where they got um, all their like where they sell kayaks and stuff like he wants it to be like we can sell literally anything. Well, yeah, because they had baseball bats and tennis rackets and and uh, so we're, and, yep. and all kinds of armor. So, um, I guess in my mind, uh, I don't know. The bows to me weren't all that hard to believe because I've seen people buy ridiculous things when they're on vacation. So to me, lightsabers. <laughs> wait, I'm still that's waiting. Not, for one. That's not ridiculous. Hey now. I've got four, I'm, and it's not ridiculous. I'm still waiting for one. I'm just, <laughs> just jealous. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so, have would you and have you guys recommended this book to anybody? Yes, yeah, several people. One hundred percent. I haven't yet, but I'm going to. Yeah, I haven't yet. I, I haven't yet either, just because I don't have a lot of friends outside of this group in this podcast to read um, regularly. But um, yeah. As the opportunity comes up, I definitely will. All right. All right. So just so people know, uh, it is available both hardback, paperback. Uh, I did get my copy through Amazon and you can uh, stream it uh, audiobook wise on Audible. That's where I first came in contact with it. All right. So real quick, uh, before I forget, uh, next week's episode, um, actually, Liam and John, Disney John are back and we count down our top seven Disney animated movies. Ooh, I better get busy. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take a minute. Um, my uh, one year anniversary of being a podcaster is right around the corner. So I'm just going to take a minute uh, real quick here. Um, 
so I follow a lot of different things on Twitter, podcasting and d- different podcast groups. And there was one of the questions that they posed uh, was actually Podbean. Um, what has been the biggest surprise uh, from podcasting? Now, going into this, um, I'd already kind of had the bug because uh, I was on a film by in their 1986 series. So that kind of got me into it. And I knew that I was going to enjoy the production side of it, you know, coming up with story ideas or uh, topics for us to discuss, um, you know, prepping for those recording and then editing. I, I knew I was going to get into all that because that's, you know, some of what I did in college. And I really enjoy that kind of thing. Um, but the biggest surprise is actually how much joy I get from talking about all these different topics with all of you guys. Most of you guys were friends to begin with. And um, we uh, I've gotten to know a lot of you a lot better just through doing these episodes. And that's been really, really cool. I've also met new people and interacted with uh, a lot of different people from all over, uh, including Southern California, Oklahoma, Michigan, Tennessee, Illinois, and of course, Ohio. Um, doing the podcast uh, brings me a lot of joy and honestly is, is making my life better. Um, I hope it does all the same for you because um, it thrills me that you guys are willing to do this, you know, take time out of your busy schedules to be a part of this. And that makes me feel really good. And obviously I hope all the listeners get some joy out of this and help uh, escape their daily grind for a little bit uh, every week. So I hope it, uh, hope that does that for you. Um, I take a second to uh, thank the podcast community, um, specifically Jeff and Brad uh, from the film by podcast for getting me started down this road. Uh, D and Jason from the surely you can't be serious podcast for their support. And even re- more recently, Russ from the infectious group podcast, John from the 30 something movie podcast and Patrick from vintage video have all been uh, very supportive lately. So uh, thanks to all my friends that are on this uh, every week. And I thank the listeners and do yourself a favor, read more books. And remember, physical media is better than streaming. The Donkey Bay 77 podcast is produced and edited by Dayton Johnson, recorded with Rode Pod Mics, the Zoom Pod Track P4, and edited on Audacity. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. You can find him on YouTube and Bandcamp. Thank you for listening. Coming soon to theaters.